in the book of Psalms, chapter 33, verse 12. Let's read it out together. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. I want to talk to you this morning about freedom is never free. There is a price to be paid for living in America. The blood that was shed by men and women all throughout the ages since, the, since America was formed in July 4, 1776, we owe a debt of gratitude to all of those brave men and women who fought and defended this freedom that we enjoy. Can we thank them today? We do. We're thankful for that. We appreciate it. And we owe a debt of gratitude to him. And we also today, we owe a debt of gratitude to the ultimate freedom fighter, the Lord Jesus, who has conquered death, hell, and the grave to give us freedom. Freedom. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for this freedom that we get to enjoy. The freedom to live in these United States of America, but also the freedom we get to live in your presence each and every day and go with you to a place called heaven. So Lord, we're thankful for that today. Let us experience and express that each and every day that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're too good looking to stand up. Now just go ahead and sit down. You're too good looking to stand up. <laughs> We're so I just say crazy stuff to see if you're listening. I think about what happens in society when we live in a free society, everybody has opinions. How many of you know in a social society which we live in, sometimes opinions really, really are bad. Sometimes you feel like, really, should you be saying that stuff? But you know, they're hiding behind a computer in a basement, so they say crazy stuff online and opinions. Everybody's into giving their opinions. Opinions are kind of like belly buttons. Everybody has them, but if you don't clean them out, they stink. You have to clean out your opinions, but I would even take us to another level today. We have to clean out our perception of who we are and whose we are. The people have been asking this question for many years. I get asked this question pretty, pretty regularly, and the question is asked, is America under the judgment of God? In this great society in which we live, and all of the political upheaval and the turmoil, is America under the judgment of God? We read in Deuteronomy 28, the Bible says, if you obey the voice of the Lord, it says, all these blessings shall overtake you. And then it gives a litany test of the blessings. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. You're going in and you're coming out. He says, I'll plant you by a tree of living water. Your leaf shall not wither and whatever you do will prosper. God says, I'm going to make you all these blessings will come on you when you obey the voice of the Lord. Now we know in the Old Testament that, a vo that voice of the Lord of obedience has now been transformed translated into the receiving of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by our works, by simple believing in Christ and his salvation. Now we get all those Deuteronomy 28 blessings, not because of, but in spite of. But interesting to note in that same passage in Deuteronomy 28, it talked about the curse of a nation. The Bible tells this curse that comes upon a nation, and I'll just go over it quickly. It talked about a nation having trouble in the inner city. As a matter of fact, having violence and turmoil in the inner city. And people often record that reference of Scripture and say, that's why we're under the judgment of God and under the curse of God. It talked about having a basket in a store, meaning economy not going where it needs to be and having not enough insufficiency. And they, they 
bring reference back and say, that's a result of us being under a curse. And I could go down the list out of Deuteronomy of how we have have gotten to the place we are today with this great divide of political unrest. We are now facing in our society a civil unrest like the Civil War. And now they're talking about a new civil war is brewing. We are under this issue of seeds being sown that are producing harvest. I wouldn't say the judgment of God because Christ has broken the curse of the law and judgment of our sin because of Calvary. But I do say that we are under the reaping of the seeds that we have sown. So I encourage us today to find a place of peace and rise above. How do you rise above? Because the Bible says something interesting out of Isaiah's chapter in, in chapter 10, verse 1. The prophet says, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortunes which they have prescribed that talked about a society when these people would write these unrighteous decrees into law and people would have to follow them and be governed by them. Unrighteous decrees, like what, Joey? Like one nation under God being unconstitutional. Can I tell you that we still are one nation under God now and forevermore? We have these unalienable rights given to us by our creator, which is God. He has given us those rights, not the government, not Congress. God has given us those rights to be one nation under God, unrighteous decrees. We're hearing today such political divide. And no matter what side of the aisle that you rest upon, it's easy to get your opinion and get it out there. When we see our nation and our borders under, under the issue now of the microscope and whether we want borders of security and we want families. Can I tell you, as a believer, you should want both. You shouldn't want families separated, but you should want protection on your border. But I, can I tell you, that's the enemy's eye uh, schemes to get you off the main issue. Instead of fighting over this issue and that issue, what about the unrighteous decree of the unborn? Overwhelming issue of 50 million American babies that have died in their mother's womb. Unrighteous decrees. That's dozens dozens and dozens and dozens of cities the size of Stockton wiped out because of unrighteous decree. Now we are facing these issues and it's easy to get in the muck. It's easy to give opinions of getting in the weeds, but we have to rise above. We have to learn to rise above it as a believer. We're facing an issue now of socialism. It's rearing its ugly head in America. Socialism has failed, by the way, in Europe. It's failed in Venezuela, and it will fail in America, even though they're pushing it. Why? Because the government that gives you everything has the ability to take away everything. Hello. It will fail. We're facing nuclear war. That's why the the protection that's happening in the Korean Peninsula is so important, not just because of denuclearization, but of the gospel being preached in Korea, where the gospel has been stifled, it's been hindered, and now we have an opportunity with the gospel to go forth in that region like never before. But the issues that are before us are overwhelming. The issue of nuclear exchange that's happening with Iran racing toward Armageddon, wanting to wipe out Israel and wipe out America. We're seeing all these things unfold, and it's easy to give an opinion. It is easy to tell us what we're for, and we don't like this, and we like that. But I said all that to say there is an attack on our freedom like never before. 
There is an unseen hand that's pushing America into the abyss. Friends, this unseen hand is not a Democratic Party. The unseen hand is not a Republican Party or a socialist agenda. The unseen hand is a demonic hand that is pushing America in a great divide to give their opinion instead of speaking kingdom. Instead of speaking those things that are not as though they are, it wants us to live in the muck and the mire of today's issues and opinions. Do you know historically, people as a whole resent reality? They really do. In the 1930s, when, when Adolf Hitler was coming to power, there was a man by the name of Winston Churchill. He talked about this coming storm and this madman coming on the world stage. Do you know they booed him in his seat in the house of the Lords? They called him a crazy troublemaker, but he proved to be absolutely right. And Hitler would be a great demonic force in the stage of human history. Do you know people say even now, America, Joey, it's too sophisticated to fall as a nation from within. That's not true. Do you know Germany was one of the most educated, cultured people in the world at that time? It was a nation filled with music and art and hospitals and universities. And do you know in less than six years, six short years, it was rounding up its own citizens, killing the Jewish men, women, and children, radically changing the law. And today we know that it systematically killed through the government, through Hitler's power, 50 million people died because it took over that government. It happened. It happened. You say, well, what's the answer for all this? This unseen hand. The answer is you and I standing in the gap and becoming people of prayer, becoming people that doesn't give opinion about, I don't like this and I don't like that. And I like that. And you should accept that. It's to become people of prayer because prayer changes things. It's been said when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. You have to learn to talk to God about men before you ever talk to men about God. And it works. Prayer changes things. It's not the, it's not the, it's not the, uh, the petitions over and over. It's the power of who you're praying to. In other words, the Bible says, what you ask in my name, I will do it. Prayer works. It worked for George Washington. He was the founder of our, of our great nation when he was at Valley Forge and defeat seemed imminent and it seemed impossible. The victory, the British had so much and this new founding fledgling of a society called America had so little. What did he do? The Bible, or excuse me, the history tells us, not your history books, but real history books, it tells us that this man got down on his knees in the snow of Valley Forge and he prayed. He prayed and God brought forth victory in an impossible situation. Prayer works. It worked for Abraham Lincoln, the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln declared a day, a national day of fasting and prayer. And a nation that was divided, brother killing brother, father against son, a nation that was divided and against itself was healed because of the power of prayer. Prayer worked for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. That's the guy on the left. In Pearl Harbor, there were 3,000 bloody men that had died right there in the, in the waters there in Hawaii. And this man got on the only platform that could reach the masses at the time. He got on the radio. It was back in the day. And when he got on the radio, he, this, this great leader of his day, he, 
declared that we needed to unite and pray together. No matter what political aisle that you sat on or leaned on, he declared a day of prayer. And as a result, he prayed that those Americans' lives would not be in vain and that people's fears would be subsided by faith in their country and faith in God. And America became victorious in the battle. So what I'm saying to you today, it's time for us to get out of the little things and get to the greater things and become people of prayer. Because it's easy to give opinions. It's easy. As you get older, your opinions change. I remember when I was a young man and now I yell at the TV like an older guy. I never even cared before. Now I find myself, my youngest daughter's like, daddy, they can't hear you. I'm like, but they need to because I got the truth. But the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 in the New Testament for we are to pray for kings and all who are in authority. That means you may not agree with them, but we're under a Bible mandate to pray for them. Pray for kings and all who are in authority, that you by praying may lead a quiet and peaceable life. No matter if you like the current administration, or you like the former administration, or you're thankful for a new administration to come in the future, we're to pray for all of them. Why? Not because of, but in spite of, so we, the people that are praying, can lead a quiet and peaceable life. Listen to that. Pray for the kings and all who are in authority. They can live a quiet and peaceable life, marked by godliness and what? By what? Uh, It's only three of you read. (laughs) Dignity. Do you know when I see people on television or I see them protest and picketing, I don't see godliness and I don't see dignity. I don't care what aisle they fall on. All I see is people enraged with an opinion instead of leading a quiet and peaceable life. You don't change laws by picketing. You change laws by voting. And when you vote, you vote the Bible. You don't vote a pocketbook. You don't vote a Republican or a Democrat or an independent. You vote the mandate of the moral compass of your soul, the Bible. It's the answer. You say, well, that's kind of old school. Old school is still cool bud. It's still the way to go. Thank you, whoever you are in the back that said amen. I, (laughs) I'm teasing. I think it was Debbie. Wasn't that Debbie? God bless you, Debbie. You're the only spiritual one in the room today. But the Bible says something amazing, that we have the ability to live a quiet and peaceable life by our prayers, our praying for kings, our praying for presidents and and, and district officials and people of influence, people of leadership. The Bible says he puts kings up and he puts kings down. So it's not our job to judge them. It's our job to pray for them. The Bible says if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I'll do something. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll begin to heal their land. The prophet Ezekiel speaks of a nation in such a time as this. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, it says, I've sought for a man, you could slash it woman, among them who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. I've sought for a man among them who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy the land. So the prophet is being told by God, look for people who will not give their opinions, but they're going to stand in the gap. In ancient Israel, when the walls were breached, it was a sign that they were under attack and that they can be easily taken over. 
So the, the gap would be in the wall, and so they would send the strongest, most effective military defense they could. The, the greatest warrior would come to the wall in the Old Testament time, and they would be posted between that wall where there was a breach and stand in the gap so no enemies would come and get in the city and hurt the children and hurt the families. You know, God's still calling for wall gappers today, people that will stand in the gap on behalf of the land. Land represents people. It represents prosperity. God's still asking today, can I find a man? Can I find a woman that will stand in the gap on behalf of the land? Not giving their opinion, but standing in prayer. It happened in the Old Testament when God said, I'm going to take out those Israelites. Two million of them, they're committing idolatry. They're being immoral. They're doing all this crazy stuff. And Moses says, God, I want to petition you on their behalf. Moses goes up before God on behalf of them. He stands in the gap, if you will, for 40 days and 40 nights. And God spared millions of people because of one man standing in the gap. It's in the New Testament. We read the story of the centurion who came to Jesus and he said, I have a servant that's sick. And I'm, I know that all you have to do is say the word and the servant could be healed. What is he doing? He's standing in the gap on behalf of somebody that's not greater than him, but lower than him. And as a result of standing in the gap and believing in somebody else and wanting to help, the servant was healed that very hour. And Jesus said something amazing. I've never seen this type of faith in all of Israel. This man wasn't even a believer. And he has so much faith rising up that Jesus has to put a memorial in the book as a reminder you to us that when we stand in the gap, miracles can happen. Do you know that when we stand in the gap, we pray and we intercede, we're no longer standing in judgment. We're no longer standing in ridicule of others. We're no standing in telling you you're wrong and you're right. We're standing in the gap on behalf of family, on behalf of our friends, on behalf of our city, on behalf of our nation. We begin to stand in the gap on their behalf. You see, that closes the political divide. That closes the divide of people who are not where they need to be, or people who are overzealous with the things of this world and civil issues. See, that closes the gap when you and I start to stand in the gap. When we stand in the gap on behalf of God, then who do we come against? We're not coming against man. We're not coming against chariots and armor. We're not coming against horse and rider. When you start to stand in the gap and people come against you, they're not coming against you. They're coming against God. And God says, I will fight the battle. I will fight the battle. You see, when you do it in your own strength, guess what? You start to box in your own strength. When you start to divide and share all that stuff because you're right, bless God, and they're wrong, then you're going to have to defend yourself in your own strength. But when you stand in the gap on behalf of the Lord for, for God to bring forth the healing, then what you're doing is you're sending to a place where God begins to fight the battle and God begins to bring the healing and God begins to make a way where there seems to be no way. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 God tells Jeremiah, my people, they've committed two sins. They've forgotten me, the spring of living water. The name Oasis didn't come from a name out of a book. God calls himself an oasis. He says, I'm a spring of living water. That means he's an oasis in a desert. That's what God called himself. He says, I am a spring in living water, but you've forgotten about me. And you've dug for yourself cistrums. You mean your own wells and they're broken. 
because you've forgotten that I'm the source. I'm the source of life. I'm the source of water. I'm the source that puts kings up and puts them down. I am the source. And God says, when you forget about me and you reject me and you reject my word and you don't stand in the gap, then you've committed these issues and you have this issue now of having things, but you got holes in them. Now you've got water, but holes are going out because it's broken. You got money, but you don't honor me in the tithe and the offering. Now you've got bags, but you got holes in the dang bag and you ain't got enough to make ends meet. You're not honoring me because now your body's sick and now you need a healing from the Lord. But come back to a place of peace. Come back to honoring me and watch me fight on your behalf. So why is it that people lose their freedom? They lose their freedom because they reject God. They reject what God has freely given. I don't blame people for rejecting religion. I reject religion often. I reject certain things that don't sit well with me, but I never in my own uh, understanding in the Lord reject God. I never want to reject God and his power. I may not understand things. I may have trouble trying to reason things, but I never, I never re reject what God wants to do in me and through me. Why? Because God says, when you honor me, I'm going to honor you. That's a Bible principle. God says, if you're ashamed to confess me, I'll be ashamed to confess you. Jesus said, if you deny me, I have to deny you. We're not here to be people that are deniers. We're here to be believers and not doubters. So we're not to reject God. Because when you reject God, you're taking one step in the wrong direction. We're not to take that step. And that's how freedom gets held when we start rejecting God and rejecting his promises. And also it's... Re it's we lose our freedom by idolatry when we start putting our faith in other things. We start putting our faith in other gods or other ways and other methods or putting our faith in money. You say, well, money talks. Yeah, mine says bye-bye. My money don't be saying much for long. It always goes bye-bye. You and I have to know that God is the source of our strength. God is the reason that we're able to get up in the morning. Humanity, uh, uh, humanism is idolatry. Humanism is simply when we start to make ourselves God. In other words, I'm the master of my fate. I'm self-made. Can I tell you, a self-made man is wrapped in a very small package? It's true. I can do it on my own. You can't take your next breath without God's permission. You need to realize it is God. There's one thing you got to know. God is God. And there's another thing that you must know. You're not him. So you're never going to understand God with your head. You've got to have faith in your heart. That's why we sang that song earlier. And I wish, I, I wish you and I could get to a place of realizing that I'm never going to understand God fully with my head. I'm never going to understand him with my own reasoning. I've got to just accept his grace and his love and his freedom and walk in that freedom each and every day because God is for me. He's not against me. Can I get help preaching this this morning? As we close our time and the worship team, please come. There's something to be said about freedom. Freedom is never free. Freedom is never free. It always costs something for freedom. 
There's something about borders and language and culture that is so important. What we're seeing in a political society that we're living in, we're seeing an all-out attack because of the border issue. And we're seeing attack because of language issues. And we're seeing attack because of cultural issues. But do you know God wants to establish the proper borders for your life, the proper language for your life, and having the proper culture for your life? What do you mean by all that, Joey? God has established it through his freedom. He's established it. You are to have borders. You are to protect who comes around you. You are to protect who you let in, your sphere of influence, your personal space. You know, this is your personal space. Anybody gets in that personal space? It's on like Donkey Kong. You're not allowing them in. They're, they're violating your personal space. You have to know. You have to guard your heart. The Bible says, above all things, guard your heart. The heart has to be guarded. You have to have borders. And I'm not talking about southern border protection because I'm not talking, you get, see, get your eyes off that stuff. I'm talking about borders over your life. Heaven has gates. Heaven has borders. You have to get out of this political mindset and say, well, I'm against that because this political issue and that. No, you need to have borders. You need to have protection. Israel has borders. Heaven has borders. Heaven has gates. It's showing you and I have to have protection. You say, well, I don't believe that. You don't know the Bible. You've got to know the Bible. It's not, a, it's not a border to keep the wrong people out. It's a border to keep the right people in, to keep the right things in. And those other things are not going to have any access to. Borders, language, the language of heaven. What's the language we're to speak? You say Spanish, orale. No, not just Spanish, not just English. We're to speak the language of God. The language of God is faith. Speaking in faith. Speaking that word. Language. The proper language. When calamity comes, I don't speak my own language. I really try not to. Sometimes I do. But most often, I'll speak the language of God, which is the word of God. Language. Borders. Language. Culture. Culture. Some of us were raised in a cultural, influential home and our culture has dictated how we see our cultures have dictated how we look through the eyes of belief i believe that oasis church is a time for this city in this day for god to help us with our culture that we have a culture of honor that we would learn to honor god and honor one another we would learn to be a culture of honor society has lost the culture of honor what we see in this political unrest, we're seeing people dishonor everything and everybody. Now it happens in the church where people think it's okay to honor, dishonor people and dishonor others. But that's not how we stand in the gap. God says, I want to establish around you some proper borders. I want to establish around you the right language. When you go through trials, when you go through adversity, I want to establish the language of love. I want to establish you the language of my power, my word, and I want to establish in you a culture of honor, to honor God in everything that you do, but learn to honor others, even if you do not agree with them. You're to honor them anyway. See, the church has got to get off its political high horse and become everything God's called it to be, salt and light. Salt and light. 
We engage the society by being salt and light. I didn't say disrupt those things because you should get, if you want to cause political change, go run for office. I'll help you if you're godly. If you're not godly, me no helpy. I'll be honorable, but I'm not helping you. But I'm telling you that for a reason because I think it's a tipping point that's happening in our society. There's something that's happening in this unseen hand that's pushing and it's trying to drag the church of the living God into the muck and the mire of this political unrest. And I say, let it not be so with us. Let it be this day that we are people of faith, that we are people that rise above any political party. We rise above any political agenda. We rise above the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, the Socialistic Party, the Independent Party. We rise above the Libertarian Party and we rise to a place of peace, to the kingdom of our God. Can't you see God doing an amazing thing in your life? Can't you see a freedom that was given to you today because Christ has bore it so you don't have to live in it? He has paid the price. Can't you see Jesus? He's hanging from the middle cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The price has been paid. Punishment has happened, not because of you, but in spite of you, Christ has paid it all. He has given freedom.